We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories, the traditions and the culture of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the nation. Warning, this podcast contains explicit language and discusses sensitive topics related to mental health, childhood trauma, birth trauma, abuse, miscarriage and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. If you find these subjects distressing or triggering, we recommend taking caution and considering whether to proceed with listening. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out to a mental health professional or a trusted individual for support. Your well-being is our priority. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Touched Out Podcast. Today we have Michael, who is a school teacher, a husband and a father. Today we discuss Michael's journey of loss and grief after he and his wife suffered a miscarriage. Michael shares his experience of coping with grief, seeking professional help for mental health, and the challenges of parenting after loss. He emphasizes the importance of embracing vulnerability, self-love, and self-care as a parent. The conversation highlights the power of storytelling and the impact it can have on others. Michael's story serves as a reminder to appreciate the journey of parenthood and to be present in both the highs and lows. The conversation explores the themes of overcoming fear and self-doubt, the loss of resilience, the role of parents in modelling behaviour, and the importance of stepping outside the comfort zone. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hit like and share on the podcast platform of your choice so the podcast can continue to find its way into the ears of new listeners. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and YouTube at Touched Out Podcast. For those who wish to support the show in other ways, you can also donate via PayPal. You can find social media and donation links as well as information from today's episode in the episode description. Thank you for being part of my podcast family. Let's keep this journey going together. No lies bent off, so take a breath from everything right here and Take some time, it's alright, you'll be fine. Okay, so today we have Michael. How are you going, Michael? Very well, Carter. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. You're more than welcome, mate. Uh, let's start off with uh, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your family. Give us a little bit of a history and we'll go from there, mate. Excellent. Yeah, look, I, I guess I'm relatively uh, new to the caper of, of, of parenting. Myself and my wife, Sarah, we've got our little beautiful Maisie and also our, uh, our beautiful little angel baby. So uh, one earth side, uh, Maisie is... What is she now? Sort of coming up 21 months. So she's August, August baby. So we're not too far off the, the two years, which is absolutely flown. And did Maisie come first or after Angel Baby? Yeah, uh, Maisie was uh, Maisie was after Angel Baby. Yep. So uh, Angel Baby would have been the Earth side sort of the year the year prior, sort of around a similar time actually. So it was a little bit bittersweet when when Maisie came along, but. Um, yeah, Maisie's our uh, our rainbow baby, and and look, we love them both very much. One's here side, and the others, uh, unfortunately, not. Okay, well, I'm very very sorry to hear about that, mate. How about you tell me a little bit about prior to conceiving 
babies and your wife and yourself. How did you guys meet? How long have you been together? Yeah, look, I guess sorry to uh, sorry to hit the, the, the heavy stuff a little bit early, but no, Sarah and I we met at Assumption College in Kilmore. So I was a uh, I was a boarding student there. So we're uh, we're childhood sweethearts, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, but but I was a boarding student, so that sort of meant that I I lived at school and Sarah was a day student. So it was almost a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet story. It was uh, it was sort of no no go zone for a boarding student to uh to, to end up with a day student. But um yeah, look we, we met at school and um and sort of continued that beyond school. I'm sort of based in New South Wales but came to Melbourne to study. Um yeah, we're we're happy, happy and uh got married in two thousand and twenty. So we were married just before the uh just before the pandemic. A week before really. We were very lucky to get in. But yeah, I guess it's, let's call it a pretty sort of pretty stock standard relationship. We were together for a long time, sort of together for eleven or so years um, before we got married, and then uh, that was always the plan. I think for us that we uh, we sort of wanted to go through the process of of the relationship, the marriage, and 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 then get on with the um, I guess with the journey of, of parenthood. Yeah, very good. And so Maisie's coming up to two. Is that that right? Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, so about twenty one months old. Yep. Now, sort of, when do you when do you stop stop using months and start using years? So a year and a half, I guess. Yeah, but but coming up two years, and it's been a a hell of a journey. Um, you know, as I said, it's it was it was bittersweet, sort of still is, and and you know, I, I yep. guess for for both of us, it's sort of been something we we always like to acknowledge is that the fact that we've got two two kids, one one is Earthside and 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 one isn't, but but I think with sort of Maisie is that the legacy of, of our angel baby lives on through her but yeah it's uh, certainly gone certainly gone very fast the um you know that the, the months that we've had thus far and do you just refer to angel baby as angel baby or did you have a name or anything no, like yeah that? yeah well not not an official name but but always sprinkle and uh I, I, look I guess the reason for that there was a um yeah very early on when when Sarah was was pregnant with um with Sprinkle, we were in the um yeah we were in the pantry I guess and um yeah a little sort of there was a, a Sprinkle and then also you've got those uh, those applications that sort of tell you how far along you are and they sort of refer to a to a fruit or something like that but um yeah sort of the Sprinkle was was something that that resonated with us and we just kept seeing Sprinkle after we we lost him or her. So that was something we sort of attached to, and and we referred to um to our baby as Sprinkle ever since. Yeah, beautiful. Do you mind if I refer to them as Sprinkle? Uh, absolutely, I'd I'd love that. Thanks, Carter. Beautiful. Okay, so if you don't mind, would you be okay with talking about how far along Sarah was when you unfortunately lost Sprinkle, and what your mental health was in the aftermath, and what you guys did to kind of get through that really dark time? Yeah, absolutely. So Sarah was about eight weeks. So if, sort of give you just a little bit of a timeline. We went and had the uh, the scan, and it was a really sort of cloudy time, I guess, and 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 COVID was. I guess to blame for that. So it was not a great experience in the sense that I couldn't be there at the scan, but we went along to the scan at about five and a half, maybe six weeks, and I wasn't able to go in. So I had to sit in the, in the car. And as a first time, you're sort of wanting to do all of these experiences together. It's, it's such a joyful time, but I guess that sort of took the wind out of the sails. But the scan was, was everything was okay. A little bit of a slow heartbeat was, was probably the only thing, but within the average range, if we're using medical terms. So. We were feeling quite good, yeah. But but a couple of weeks after that, things sort of went downhill, and yeah. So it was was eight weeks when we um when we unfortunately lost Sprinkle. 
it, look, it was a confusing time and still sort of is, I guess. And, and, and I think everyone sort of experiences loss and grief differently. It's, it's such a unique experience. But, but I think I've sort of probably wrestled a little bit with, with how to deal with it, probably as the dad. And, and it's, it's, such a, it's such a unique experience. But I think the challenge for me was, was this concept of the fact that um, my wife was carrying Sprinkle. And I think quite often the default can can sort of be, and and my challenge was is actually going through the grief or embracing the grief myself because I probably got into the habit a little bit of going well. Uh, my wife Sarah was carrying Sprinkle, therefore it's it's her loss. So sort of almost compartmentalising this process of of the fact that they were my baby too, and and I think with that sort of comes the fact that yeah, like a lot of the. A lot of the conversations I was having pretty early on with with people that were close to us was how was Sarah. So in that, probably you know, and I've certainly read up on a little bit of you before and and this toxic masculinity and trying to sort of break the stigma. But I probably went into this stoic male of I've got to protect. You know, I've really got to protect Sarah and her feelings, and and even in a funny little way, everyone around as well. And and in that, probably I got lost a little bit, and and I didn't really go through the process of you know just going through the grief cycle I guess and, and whatever that cycle is varies according to who you are but it was it was a really really tough time initially a really emotional time for, for both of us and you know as the as sort of the days went on I guess we sort of both went through our own individual ways of, of dealing but, but certainly came together as well but probably wasn't until a few months after I remember sort of getting back on a school teacher and I remember getting back to school and I was just out of sorts you know I was forgetting things and I was, yeah, just really not myself. And, and it was probably then that, that I was able to step back and go, I've had a mask on, you know, this protective mask on for, let's call it three to four to five months and, and, and not really taking the time to step it outside myself and, and, and really embrace my own vulnerability and my own grief. So in a funny little way, it wasn't probably until a few months after that I probably really explored that myself. And... Yeah, that that was that was a, a, you know a really nice, again bittersweet. I'll, I'll probably use that term a fair bit um, in our conversation because you've got this really significant juxtaposition of you know you, you have this experience that brings you closer, but but it's also I guess tainted in a funny little way with with sadness and and you know all of these these really hard hard feelings that are difficult for the the, the human to process, I guess. But but we we've really celebrated Sprinkle. I, I think that's been the thing, and I've, I've I've admired my wife throughout the journey and and what she's been able to do and her strength and courage through it all. Yeah, but it's also sort of led me to having some really difficult conversations with myself and probably having to um yeah do, do things I guess in terms of inner work that I haven't had to do before. And did you seek any professional help? In, in the wake of the loss of Sprinkle, once you kind of realised that you weren't doing too well yourself and that you had taken on that protector role and kind of maybe pushed your your emotions and your trauma and, and everything like that to the to the side a little bit while you made sure everyone else was okay, which is incredibly noble and it's something that, yeah, a lot of men do take on, but I think there is definitely a fine line between being a protector for really good reason and then that becoming toxic, not only as like an outward thing, but an internalized thing. And you're just really not looking after yourself. And then you can't be the best you can be for everyone around you anyway. So it's 
it's really a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And, um, you know, to, to your question there, yeah, I, I, I certainly did. I went and um, I, I sought, sought external support and that, that was really and continues to be really significant for, for me in, in just the whole understanding. And, and, and that's probably been the big thing, Carter, to be, to be honest with you, is, is I think a lot of all of it for me was just confusion. And then with confusion came a little bit of bitterness and resentment for, for a lot of things. But and, and, and I probably thought a lot of these feelings of resentment and bitterness had nothing to do with the, the, the trauma I went through and the grief I was feeling. But that was the great and beautiful thing about seeking that support is it just helped me see things and, and, and understand the relationship between um, what I'd gone through, I guess, and, and the feelings I was feeling. And, and it, I, I guess in, in a great turn of events, what it allowed me to do was actually harness all of these feelings and, 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 and make sense of them. And then in turn, sort of be able to understand them and sort of move through that process of the fact that, yes, you've gone through a, a really challenging thing, but, but there can be a silver lining in it all. And that is that when you do get the, the chance to be the father of an earthside baby, you will have, have this incredible repertoire of, of skills that you've worked through as a result of going through something that was, was tragic, let's call it. So that was, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. The double-edged sword was that you, you, you're trying to protect, you're trying to be stoic, you're trying to be everything but you're probably not doing as well as you think you are because you've got this underlying bitterness sadness all of these emotions that i probably didn't even understand myself were bubbling away in the surface so when i was able to unpack that and really explore myself and what i'd gone through i I felt like i was able to be a much better version of myself and a better husband and now a better father yeah certainly I, i really really appreciate you sharing all of those insights uh i think that these types of conversations will help other people in similar circumstances who are especially going through that battle currently just just purely the fact that you know you explain that you you didn't understand those emotions until you sought that professional help and and that really is what it is you know they are there to teach you about why you're feeling the way you're feeling and provide you with the tools necessary to figure it all out life's a puzzle and trauma especially is an even bigger puzzle and you can't be expected to just understand how to solve that puzzle if it's just thrown at you and go deal with it while also dealing with all of these other puzzles around you of other people and dealing with their loss and their emotions. And it's yeah, it's a really hard time and it's very, very overwhelming. And I think for a lot of men, their default when there is that amount of overwhelm would to just be shut down and deal with everyone else because then they don't have to deal with their own shit. So I think you... In you explaining your story will help immensely with a lot of people. So I do really, really appreciate that. When it comes to Maisie, so it was about a year after that Sarah conceived Maisie, is that right? Yep. Was Maisie planned or was there a conversation around having another baby? What was, uh, how did that all go down? Yeah, she certainly was, Carter. Yeah, she, um, it was, you know, it was, it was a, a, a series of conversations, I guess, and um, it was. I, I think if you know, I referred to the silver lining before, but but I think in it all that what it did teach us, our loss was that we we absolutely it's what we wanted, you know, and 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 there was a lot of apprehension that sort of that that I guess followed, and when your first experience is the experience we had, it was sort of I guess 
knocking down a fair few of those barriers around well, what happens if this happens again and all of these sorts of things. But yeah, Maisie certainly was was a conversation and, and, and our experience before solidified that we were really keen to be parents. Beautiful. I'm just, sorry, I'm just looking up if I can find a percentage of couples who break up after a miscarriage. So 22% of couples mm. are likely to break up after a miscarriage. Was that ever, was, was there ever any, any sort of fear or threat of that in your relationship or did, did you uh, ensure that your bond was unbroken and your relationship remained as strong as possible in the wake of that trauma? Yeah, that's, that, that's an incredible statistic. And yeah, that's, that sort of rattled me in a, in a way because I, I get it. I, I guess like that, that really resonates with me. Not, not so much because that was our circumstance or situation that, that, that was never, I, I felt in the equation in a lot of ways. What, what Sprinkle did to us was brought us an incredible amount closer together. You know, I've, I've known Sarah, I had known Sarah for, since we were kids, really, but, but I, I feel like we were both, you know, like the, there was a real sense of that just opened up the doors in terms of vulnerability in our relationship and openness even more, you know, going through that, that trauma and grief together. So look, look, ab- ab- absolutely not. But, but, you know, I guess the reason why that, that sort of number resonates with me is because it throws you absolutely into the deep end, something like that. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I can see how in a lot of circumstances or in, Essentially, one fifth of the circumstances is that that people find it all all too hard, and, and it puts an immense strain on the relationship. But in our circumstance, I think what it really did was was galvanise us and bring us closer together. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So you've conceived Maisie. How was the pregnancy? Everything straightforward? Good birth? Healthy baby? Everything like that? Yeah, it's 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 a journey, isn't it? Pregnancy. Um, look. It certainly Maisie, is, and it's one that men yeah, don't it, talk about enough. Yeah, gosh, I could uh, I could probably talk for a fair a fair period of time here, but look, the pregnancy was 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 re- really good, I guess. But but we were as nervous as two people could be. You know, I remember I remember Sarah um, sort of showing me the pregnancy test, and that was yeah, like I, it's a really interesting one, um, and I'm glad you've asked me this because I'll probably think I would have. Um, I would have forgot about it, but I remember the feeling not being joy, you know, or, or absolute excitement. Like I, I just remember that feeling of, oh shit, here we go again. And mm-hmm. I think we, it was almost a little bit of an unspoken thing that particularly that we, we really use timestamps for, for Maisie's, uh, Maisie's pregnancy. It was like, all right, we got to eight weeks. Okay. But then you look at the statistics and you still go, okay, well, 12 weeks. Um, something could happen in 12 weeks and then you, then you hear about 12 to 20 weeks and then you have the 20 week scan and, and everything was absolutely fine. But it's like, okay, well, then you start to talk about other things that, that could come between that 20 and 40 weeks. So I'd love to sit here and, and tell you that, that it was an absolute beautiful ride and that we weren't feeling apprehensive or nervous or anxious, but, but I'd be absolutely lying and it's something let, let's call it a little bit of a regret. I don't know whether that's sort of fair, but. We, we we quite often speak about that whole pregnancy and we probably didn't really enjoy it because of what we'd gone through previous and we, we were really sort of just waiting in a lot of circumstances for, for something to happen. But look, physically, everything was fantastic the whole way through. Um, the birth itself was an experience that I'll never, ever forget. Women are warriors, absolute warriors. 
Oh, absolutely. And to watch, yeah, to watch Sarah and and to be a part of that, I felt humbled really, just that that I was able to to be there and not only deliver and be part of the delivery of Maisie, but just to watch Sarah. She was an absolute boss, I call her, because she was yeah, just incredible. And and I think you know, it's 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 a funny one. I'm it, within my sort of friendship group. I'm Sarah and I are the first, but um, sort of since then we've had a few in our friendship group, and you know, you sort of go. You have those conversations. You wait till the birth, and and just watching them in that environment. Uh, my friends coming out the other side and going, "Oh my gosh, you were so right. They're just incredible." But uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal experience, um, and 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 one that yeah, as I said, I'm, I was just so grateful to uh, to be a part of. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Women are absolutely warriors. And uh, I, I often think about the births of my children, and I, I have a little laugh to myself because in those moments. You know, while your wife is just going to absolute war with her own body and mind and everything is just at a level 12 out of 10. And in those little moments, my wife was still worried about such little insignificant things. Like I was like, I, um, the, the, the doctor said, you know, my baby's crowning. I'll just talk about my firstborn. The baby's crowning. Would you, dad, would you like to come look? And I, my wife had been very, very adamant throughout the entire process. I do not want you to look down there. And I respected <laughs> that. But in the moment, I was like, babe, do you mind if I have a look? Like, this is pretty magical. And she was like pushing and pushing. And she'd been at it for like 18 hours. And she's like, oh, if you have to, but I'm really sorry if I've pooed. <laughs> And I just, I think about those things and it makes me laugh so much because I'm like, you have just, you've, you've just fought an absolute war and you're still so, so worried about my view of you in case you've done a little bit of a poop. And, um, and I, it's really commendable that they, they even think of those sorts of things when they're, when they're in such the thick of it. Um, so yeah, yeah definitely, it's, absolutely it's, warriors. Yeah. You're right. Uh, you're right there. And, um, it's, it's, just sort of on that that story there as well. Like I um sort of similar. It was a fair few hours in, and and Maisie was getting close, and I was um I was beside myself emotionally, and and Sarah just looked at me and she said, "You're going to be okay." In amongst her absolute battle, and um yes, so for her to, for her to say that sort of just gives you an indication. It's it's it really is amazing how strong they that that they are. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We are proud to announce our children's book, Girls Can Wear Pants Too, is up for pre-order. Head to the podcast Instagram and hit the bio link to sign up for pre-order today. Yeah, 100%. So Maisie's born. Everything was happy and healthy. I'm sure you at some stage both breathed a sigh of relief. You know, nine months of just fearing the worst every day would have been absolute hell, especially if it was unspoken, because neither Mm. of you would have been wanting to be the first to be like, what if, because, you know, you don't Mm. want to hex the situation or anything like that. So I certainly understand that kind of frame of mind. So, yeah, so sigh of relief, I'm sure. Uh, How did everything go in the aftermath of the birth? How was Maisie as a a young baby? Did she sleep well? Was was she an absolute terror? Any colic? Anything like that? Yeah. So look, birth birth went went well. She spent a a little period time of of time in in special care, just with some concerns around her her breathing was was quite high or or fast, I should say. So yeah, that that, there was, and and again, like it was it, it was. 
I don't know how many people you're speaking to that that was sort of in the the um, hospital system during COVID, but but there was an element of, of of that being tricky because I sort of wasn't able to be there. I could come and visit during the day, but I had to leave overnight. But we were really fortunate because again, we sort mm-hmm. of been the um, we've been the lucky ones a little bit with time because only a week later it was I think essentially once the birth was done, parents other than mum had to go. So look. Immediately after, as you probably recall, the the, the first one, you, you you could read a thousand books on on parenting, but until you're sort of in it, you sort of don't know what to expect. But the the the, the days, the months following were, were 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 busy, but were beautiful. Yeah, that they they really were incredible. I, as I mentioned before, I'm a school teacher, so we were actually um, we were online. So I was able to to be at home for essentially Maisie's first three months, albeit I was still teaching online and, and, and having to engage with, with work, but I was able to do it from from home, which was, was pretty special. And I think when we sort of reflect on that that time, we, we probably took for granted how lucky we really were for 3.30 or whatever time it was and, and lunch breaks that I could come and, and A, spend time, but B, also support Sarah. But it was it was busy. Maisie was look. She was she was good in in the sense that that we weren't we didn't have anything like colic. She was probably has never been. We're still navigating the world of sleep, Carter. That's uh, that's an ongoing process for us. But but yeah, she was very much a um, she was very much a just a, a baby and and our first. So so much of it of um, for us was was really yeah was just really sort of coming to terms with. A, how much our life changed, but what she needed. Um, and as we know, babies can't communicate verbally. So just sort of trying to uh, wrap our heads around, yeah, I guess uh, her needs and our role within her needs sort of working in, in tandem with each other. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you, you never you never stop learning and never stop trying to figure kids out, mate, no matter how old they get. I've got three, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a nine-month-old. My nine-month-old has not been a good sleeper at all. We finally got her into some form of routine and her being able to go down in her cot for more than 45 minutes at a time, and that was only about three months ago. And she's now hit her nine-month sleep regression, and we are also (laughs) hit with teething and a bottle strike all at the same time. So I've been away. It's 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. at the moment, and I have been awake since 4 a.m. with her. They've been shipped off to daycare now, but my two-year-old, he has been a perfect sleeper from the get-go mm. uh, up until not too long ago. He has just, I think he's starting to uh, have a little bit of a fear of darkness along with some some night terrors and things like that. So when I got up to my uh, my baby this morning at yeah like four four thirty, uh, he was sitting in the toy room just hanging out <laughs> playing with his blocks, <laughs> nice and quietly. Um, and I don't know how long he'd been up. So he, I mean, he could have been up all night just hanging out playing with his toys for all I know. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah, it's they always change, and uh, you know the older they get and the more independent they feel and everything like that. You you really just have to. It's it's a, it really is a roller coaster. You just hang on and just. Just fucking hope for the best. Close your eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, it's you, you, you sort of do, don't you? And I think um, I think all we can do as as parents is um, be there, be present, to support. But you know, it's it's sort of interesting because I look at Maisie now, and and we actually went and caught up with friends that have got a five week old over the weekend, and we were driving home. It was about a three hour drive, and we we just sort of said, 
I can't remember Maisie being that small, you know, and, and, and I, I sort of reflected on that last night and I thought, you know, you know what, how quick does this journey go? Like if, if you blink, you'll almost, you'll almost miss it. And it's like, yeah, there's so many contradictions in, in parenting as well. You know, you have these incredible highs and then within that same interaction you have, you can have these incredible lows. And, and we're only at the toddler stage. And I know you've, um, you've, you've sort of touched base with, with parents that have got teenagers and I listen, listen to, um, all sorts of different sort of things around. And, and one of the overwhelming things I hear is it's little people, little problems. You know, you get to, 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 um, to, let's call it adolescence and, and childhood into adolescence and they become bigger problems. So what, you know, what, what I really always try and do and what Sarah and I quite often speak about is it's, it's probably almost cliche, but, but really embracing, you know, the, 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 the little things, these little milestones, these little developments and, um, and, under, and, and, and understand that it's going to be a shit show at times. But if you can be there and be present mm-hmm. and, and embrace the, the, the shit times, there's plenty of sunny days as well, isn't there? 100%, yeah. And, and even embrace the shit times, even em- embrace it all. It's, it's all just an absolute beautiful mess. You know, when after my first, my first and second, I had postpartum depression. And in those times, in the early days, when, you know, I just had this little screaming baby and I'd even though I had such overwhelming love for her, I'd never dealt with having a relationship with someone who couldn't talk, you know, mm. and who couldn't tell me what was wrong. And that was incredibly overwhelming and really, really disheartening to me. Uh, and I questioned myself all day, every day, and just sat there wishing. And and I was like, I'd say to my wife, I can't wait until she's old enough to talk to tell us what the mm. problem is. And now that my daughter's four and she can talk and tell us what the problem is, I really, really, really look back and, and just think, I, I wish I had have embraced all of that shit, all of, all of the doubt and everything. It really is part of the package and you really need to just look at everything as a whole and try to enjoy it the best you can because one day you'll look back and if you didn't embrace it, you really will regret it. I wouldn't say regret. You'll, you'll, you'll wish you did things differently. Yeah. No, look, th- thank you for sharing that, that aspect of yourself. And I, I think that that. It's an unbelievable point as, as well in the sense that, yeah, like it, 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 it's, it's so, it's so fickle, isn't it? Our, our mental health and it's, it's so important. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I remember being quite triggered early on by my Maisie's crying. And I was triggered in a sense that very similar to you is that I just, it was almost that you, you they, they can't, what, what is it that you need? And, I, I yeah, I, I the, the, you know, sort of the more of the more I've gone on, and I, I remember having very similar conversations to you about how good is it going to be when she can actually communicate. Now she's communicating, and you go, oh, I remember how good it was when <laughs> when she was just a, a little blob, and we were able to just play with her so joyfully on the um on the on the floor, whatever it might be. But yeah, I I, I remember Sarah saying something quite profound to me pretty early on, you know, just about like that the, the struggle is so valid. And I quite often used to be pretty hard on myself when I'd have moments where I would feel, you know, frustrated or, or triggered. And we quite often sort of talk about the assault on the sensory system that, that babies and toddlers do. Like, you know, they're, they're there, they're there all the time. It's a 24 hour job. And, and to just step back and, and be kind to yourself as well. And I've, I don't always get it right, Carter. And, and you're no doubt the same. I think humans, Part of being a human is mistake making and, and 
sitting in the, the or, or not even necessarily sitting in, but but being uncomfortable in certain situations and with certain feelings. But something I've I've really tried to work on is this concept of of self love and self care as a parent, because I'm going to make a thousand, and then that's probably even an understatement along the journey from now and, until they're adults and maybe they're out of our our sort of um, constant care. But yeah, just trying to exercise and uh, that that self love and and you know, mistake making as, as part of the whole process rather than getting into this cycle of I made a mistake, therefore I'm a bad parent. <laughs> and it can be quite, quite, quite hard. And I'd, I'd say probably my personality is a little bit self-critical. So uh, let's call it the cause and effect um, way of looking at things like I didn't handle that situation well, therefore I am a bad parent versus I didn't handle that situation well, but next time what I'm going to do is exercise a little bit more patience because she is telling me X, Y, or Z. And that, that's, that's a constant challenge for me now and, and, and for Sarah, for that matter too, that, that we're doing this for the first time. And just because we're doing it for the first time doesn't mean we're going to nail it the second time. But, but yeah, trying to sort of change that inner dialogue in terms of the m- mistake making doesn't make you bad. It just makes you human. And, and, and that's the, the beautiful thing about parenting. And, and, and for that matter, then if I sort of think about in the future, Maisie, when she's a child and when she's an adolescent, she's going to make a lot of mistakes too. So if I can be kind to myself now, maybe just maybe I'll be a little bit more receptive and kind to when she inevitably makes mistakes down the, uh, down the path as, as well. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think that, that life balance, uh, is, is so critical. And I quite often, go back to a, a saying that I've, I've really tried to implement in my life uh, along uh, over the years, even before parenthood, is that you really, really need those rainy days to appreciate the sunny ones. If you had sunny days every day, life would be a little bit more mundane. You know, um, you need that balance and you need those bad with the good to truly appreciate the good and truly understand the bad. So yeah, the balance is really, it's, it's always a juggling act, but I think it's not so much the the thing it's the reaction to the thing and the mistakes that you make uh that make you the parent that you are the fact that you are sitting there and at the end of the day thinking does this make me a bad parent makes you a good parent just thinking those Mm, things a bad parent doesn't wonder if they're a bad parent and i have discussed that on other episodes so i'm sorry in advance to the listeners i always say on every episode I've said this on a previous podcast, so but yeah, it, it is what it is. It's uh, it's interesting that that's coming up as as let's say a relatively consistent theme. You know, though the fact that you're having to repeat that probably suggests that that it's it's um you know it's a common feeling for for parents, isn't it? That that are we doing a you know are we doing a good job? And you know, I think I think ultimately that's that's what parents want to think or know that they're doing. You know, myself and my wife talk a little bit about love, love languages and, and words of affirmation, but let's just call it feedback. I think it's what we're always seeking. And because our toddler or baby doesn't have the capacity to tell us that we're doing a good job, quite often we, we feel like because there's so much emotion in one day, like where, you know, where do we sit on this spectrum of bad parent and good parent? And we want to be on the, towards the good, but, but, you know, unless people are telling us directly, um, it can be a little bit of a hard thing to, to to read. So I find I find that that in itself sort of interesting and pretty profound, really. That that I think we're um you know we're all chasing the same thing, aren't we? You know, and I think this is why the podcast and 
Um, the reason I wanted to come on here is because, you know, I'll listen to podcasts where you've got people that are in the public eye, but, you know, what about your average Joe that lives in Lansfield or lives in Sydney or wherever it might be that really, you know, that just trying to do the best with, let's call it a, maybe a smaller amount of resources <laughs> than, than people that we might hear every single day that are in the public eye. Yeah, so this is this is great to be here. Yeah, so it was it really was uh, one of the main, uh, actually the main reason I, I decided to start the podcast. I started going searching for podcasts because that's how I like to learn. I like to learn by listening to things. I, I, I first of all I looked for audiobooks and it was all by professionals and I didn't really want that. I've got a psychiatrist and a psychologist. That's an, enough professional help that I need. I wanted to hear real stories from real parents and everything like that. And I just, I really couldn't find what I was looking for. And I'm sure there are pockets out there that do, you know, have similar podcasts to me, but they weren't readily available. So I was like, you know what, it's pretty, probably a pretty selfish reason, reason to start a podcast because it was all for me. I just wanted to have these conversations and I thought I may as well record them. And if they can help even one other person that listens, then that's just worth the world. So, yeah, the fact that it is real parents, real situations and real stories and, you know, with 8 billion people in the world, it, it'll be sure to find someone who needs to hear it in that, in that moment and will really, really kind of go, shit, I need, to, I need to take care of myself a bit more. I need to step back and see the bigger picture and smell the roses and, yeah. you know, hopefully this podcast can just be a little bit of a breath of relief for someone. And I'm glad that that you are that you've contributed, mate. It it takes a village, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that with time, you know, this podcast can really become a village for uh, for everyone that's in a little bit of need. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, it's it's a great thing you're doing, and I think there's there's something really. My word of the day today is beautiful about uh, uh, you know a male and and you sharing your story and and vulnerability because the statistics are sort of still centered around. As, as males, we, we, we still have a fair bit of trouble really sort of letting the guard down. So for you to, to be sharing your story and your struggles as a male, I think there's, there's, you know, something in that that's, that's just incredibly powerful as well. So yeah, you should be proud of, of what, of what you're doing just in terms of the, the, the storytelling, but then the fact that you're giving other people the opportunity to, to story share as well. And those two things, you know, I've done a fair bit of reading just on storytelling. And I don't think we do enough of it now. Um, and I think maybe social media, um, I could sort of go into the reasons why, but, but just the ability to share stories with, with, with people is, is, is ultra powerful. And, um, yeah, you should be so proud of, of, of what you're doing. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate that. It's, it's, I'm not great at, uh, receiving compliments or praise or anything like that. And, and one of the, one of the big things surrounding this is I have had such overwhelming support and quite a amount of success with as, as far as listenership goes in such a short amount of time. And uh, every day, honestly, is um, it's, it's yet again a double-edged sword. You know, it's this beautiful thing and I, I am in, infinitely proud of, of myself for being able to do this, you know, especially given um, my autism diagnosis. I'm not overly great with um, public speaking. It is something that makes me anxious, which, uh, you know, this is a, a great way of working on all of that. Um, not only that, but uh, there's a great deal of imposter syndrome that comes with all of it. You know, I wake up every morning and I think, you're not deserving of this. You, you're you just like this insignificant person and you have no right 
to be doing this. And yeah, it's, it's a really, really weird feeling. And it's a vulnerable thing to, to be able to discuss those things. Because even though I am such an advocate for mental health, I, I was raised very much in that old school frame of, frame of thought of like, you know, stiff upper lip and keep your chin up and, you know, men don't talk about their feelings or show their emotions. Uh, so it's always been a very internalized battle for me. But, you know, at, at some stage, I just had to say, fuck it and just go for it and be as authentic and true to myself as I possibly can. And I think this is, uh, you know, even though I don't feel like I deserve it, this is my gift to the world. And uh, I, I really appreciate all of the feedback that I've, I've been given. It's, um, it's a great word, authentic. And I was just thinking as you were saying that too, I mean, how incredible for your kids to, to, to see this. I mean, we all, we all sort of live in the comfort zone, don't we? I think we love our creature comforts. And, you know, as you're saying that, the imposter syndrome, like I think it's so important that we share this, you know, with, with our kids. You know, because it's it's a pretty full on concept, isn't it? And and you know, all of these these terms that you just brought up there. But but I just thought, how incredible for your kids whenever they can consume this. But probably even the conversations that you're having day to day as a result of this podcast with them. And that that's you know, like that. I think that's the essence of of, of parenting is re- resilient resilient kids. I think and and resilient adults are the result of what they see in their role models and we ultimately aren't we we're, we're their first role models so what we what behaviors we exhibit um, what emotions we show how we process and articulate those emotions essentially will, will rub off on them so mm-hmm. yeah i just think it's incredible that in itself i think sort of speaks volumes to the fact that you, what the job you're doing is for, for all of us uh, adults that are consuming this as a podcast but but also for for your kids that, that get to look up at dad and go, yeah, you know, that's what I want to be. I want to, I want to express myself. I want to be vulnerable and, and, and all of these sorts of things. Yeah, certainly. Um, my, my kids are very, very proud of me. It's, it's something that, that just fills my heart uh, every time, you know, I, apart from every other responsibility I have, you know, the podcast as it stands is taking up pretty much every waking moment I have that's free time. But, you know, if I'm in the car, I'm listening to previous episodes to figure out how I can do better or kind of hone my craft, so to speak. And, you know, my kids will be in the back and they'll be going, Daddy, that's your voice on the radio. Why are you on the radio? Is this your podcast? And I said, yeah, babe, it's my podcast. And she's like, I like hearing you on the radio. And um, it's just little things like that or like I've got I'll put a YouTube show on for the kids and then there'll be like a next up or like a preview uh, or suggested videos and my podcast logo will be on there and she'll be like, Dad, your podcast's on the TV. Um, so it's it's pretty cool to kind of feel like a bit of a rock star to my kids. And, yeah, they they are proud of me as as little as they understand of, you know, the concept of the podcast and everything like that. I think in their own way, they understand that daddy's doing something a little bit more important than, um, than what, what I would usually be doing. But I also work in youth justice. So my daughter asks a lot about my job and she always tells me how proud she is of me that I go and look after boys who need to have someone as, uh, as awesome as my daddy to look after them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It really is pretty cool. And I think at the end of the day, even if the podcast was a flop, just having that uh, with my kids is is just absolutely perfect in itself. Yeah, just, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love, love that. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, that the courage to try something with absolute no guarantee that it's going to work like that, 
you know, that, that, that's courage personified and, you know, it's something I'm trying to work on a little bit as well. I think I, I want to model a little bit like you're doing now this, this willingness to try things with no guarantee that it's going to reap extrinsic or even intrinsic, you know, rewards because that's mm-hmm. tr- trying things is beautiful you know trying things is is where you'll develop self and you know if we can model that to our kids i think yeah if i speak before to, to they're going to be more resilient children adolescents and, and ultimately adults which is what makes the world go around i, I believe anyway yeah 100 percent. yeah so that 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 whole modeling of of taking a leap or you know just the first step is the scariest is something that i'm working on with my kids at the moment, you know, my daughter has quite a lot of fear when it comes to trying new things. She has a fear of, of, of feeling embarrassment. You know, she doesn't want to fail. And and Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. And that was majority of my life. I, I wouldn't try things and wouldn't put myself out there for fear of looking stupid or foolish or, or anything like that. And that really, really does stem from all the way back in my childhood. You know, I would get into some sort of new thing and uh, I, I still have a memory of, of being 16 and I was really into breakdancing. <laughs> uh, I was super into like hip hop culture and all of that. And I went and visited my father one weekend and I was showing him and my brother uh, some some cool dance moves, you know, and uh, my dad just laughed at me and said, Jesus, you're fucking stupid. And that sat with me for so long and in that moment I don't think he will ever realize or understand that those words literally changed my entire life yeah. it made me not want to try anything it made me not want to like because just the feeling that that gave me just, just sucked it just took all of the wind out of my sails and I don't think I really I don't think I really kept doing it after that and I just kind of went into this uh autopilot of just being like, I'll just get through life. And it wasn't until I became a parent where I was like, okay, I I need to start doing things for myself because I don't want my kids to have that self-doubt like I did. I want them to be confident in everything they do. So, you know, my daughter, we went to the shops yesterday. to I wanted to buy a new game. I like gaming. That's my self-care. And she really enjoys watching me game. And I've tried to get her into it as well. She doesn't have the, the hand-eye coordination or anything like that just yet, um, which is fine. You know, it's all a learning curve. But she wanted this uh, Super Mario gaming chair. And I said, well, I'm not buying that for you right now because you don't really play games. I said, how about you? It's just you've just turned four. For your fifth birthday, if you can show me in the next year that you not only want to play games, but are actively trying to practice to get better because she tells me she wants to be as good as me at games. I'm not great. I just like, I don't play online or competitively or anything like that. It's literally just single player games where I don't have to talk to people and I can just zone out. But she really enjoys watching that and she thinks that's super cool. So I was like, well, if you, if this is something that you want to do and you want that gaming chair, you need to work towards that. If you want to play games, I'm totally fine with you playing games within reason. You're not going to sit there for hours on end every day and do it. But if you love the overall message was if you love something and something out there interests you, you need to work at it. You don't try it once, realize you're no good at it and then never do it again. That's not how life works. You need to practice the things that you love to get good at the things you love so you can keep loving them. And she understood that. So she's already this morning, she was like, can I play some games? I'm like, no, it's 4am, don't. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think it goes for everything in life. 
kids kids are sponges they're not only sponges but they're mirrors you know like they will mirror everything that you do and they will soak up everything that you say and i think it is our job as parents to not only like accept that and be like okay well you're going to turn out a mini version of me because i am your main source of information through to adult or through to school like you know through to school and then even further through to adolescence and and especially with their emotional intelligence and things like that, it's all you. And that's great, but you also need to make sure that you are modeling for them to not only become you, but better versions of you. It's it's yeah, it's it, it's a great it's a great point and a great message. I um I I quite often always sort of come back to at at what point do do we start to become influenced? By, by the outside and sort of what I mean by that is I think about Maisie when she learnt to roll and then when she weren't learnt to crawl and then ultimately probably the big one for me was when she learnt to, to, to walk and the amount of mistakes she made to, to sort of get to the point, let's use walking as the best example, um, you know, it was probably a three to four month process but the, the, the mentality and this is the beauty about, about you know, toddler's babies is that there's this steely resolve almost that the amount of time she fell over I, I, I can't remember but she kept getting up and and she wasn't influenced by the fact that she couldn't do it because there was this you know that that piece that it's like all right I'm not judged on whatever it is I'm, I've, I've got to get this and and I quite often think and as I said I'm a school teacher and I sort of see it I'm working with kids from year seven through to year 10 and I really see this this social hierarchy element uh, you know really impact on their willingness to try and mm-hmm. i quite often think like I, I i go to school and i'm in this environment where there's so much riding on it all that's a perception socially and then i come back and i see my beautiful little daughter just learning how to walk and she's tripped over and cried and we've got tears and but then we put her back down and she has a go again at, at what point do we lose that mm-hmm. you know that, that all of a sudden like you made the mention about your break dancing that was obviously what someone said you know someone that you, you care a lot about or was an important person in your life but just this concept of of never losing and, and i think it's us modeling it to go i suck at that you know i'm not good at that but i'm going to show you that it doesn't matter that's okay you can keep trying it's it's you know it's really complex but but that was a real you know these two contrasting situations, and and I always sort of come back to you know why, like what why why do we stop? Why do we why do we self preserve when it comes to trying something that we're we're not great at? And and what's my role, I guess, in that process of of trying to buck the trend, knowing full well that there's there's influences outside of us at some point in time that will modify or change behaviour. But but what can I do right now in terms of modelling, and what can we do as parents right right now? Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I can answer to some extent what we can do right now. Uh, my daughter, for instance, probably about six months ago was the first time I had ever witnessed uh, embarrassment as an emotion mm. for her. Uh, she gave something a try, didn't work out the way she wanted it to, and I kind of had a little chuckle. My chuckle was innocent. It, it wasn't directed at her. It wasn't negative in any aspect, uh, but she bottled, mate. She curled up. She put her hands in her her head in her hands and she started crying and in that moment I was like don't be silly don't be silly you know dad wasn't laughing at you but I really had to stop myself and go just because that's not what I meant 
that does not diminish how she feels and how she has perceived what I sent towards her. And I really had to stop and I sat down next to her and I said, you are entitled to feel the way you feel. You are safe. You are loved. And when you are ready, we can talk about it. And we went, we sat down once she'd calmed down a little bit and we talked about it and I explained to her what embarrassment was. And now she has a pretty solid grasp of that emotion, which I think is just super special. So I think, I think that the biggest takeaway is just really, really listen to them. If they're telling you something, even if it's not accurate, they're really telling you something. Look behind the words. Yep. And, and I think quite often too, you know, sometimes our trauma and our experience can get in the way of that as well, can't it? You know, how, how, we, how we were taught to handle embarrassment, for example, or how we saw that, that how our embarrassment was handled from people that were had, let's call it the responsibility to sort of teach us through that emotion as well. And, you know, I love that because I think it, you know, ultimately it's the one thing I'm, I'm always working on is just trying to be present, not only for, for Maisie, but for all of the people in my, my world, just to listen and, and not necessarily listen to always just answer and come up with what I think is the perfect response, but just actually listen to synthesize and just go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And, that's going to be my great challenge. I think in a really busy world where we want instant gratification, we want to come up with a, an outcome immediately, that can be quite quite difficult as well. But just, just listening rather than, than responding, I think, is, is just what I love, I love about that. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's, it really is just all about learning uh, for us, for them, for everyone. You know, no one has a, a, a guide or a handbook. It, it's all a day by day thing. You'll get things wrong. You'll get things right. You'll celebrate. You'll grieve. You'll, it's, um, it really does teach you to really, it's the ebbs and flows of life, uh, not only your life, but their lives. And, you know, you're responsible for that life as well. It's a massive, massive undertaking, but super rewarding. Yep. yep absolutely. Is uh is there anything you wish to uh to add or wrap up with before we before we finish up, Michael? Uh no. Um yeah, no, just just uh just thank you for, for giving me the uh, the opportunity. I've ticked off a bucket list item today too, and that was something I always wanted to do was uh was be a guest on a podcast. So you've uh you've given me uh you've you've been part of me ticking off a, a big list item. So so yeah, thank you. I, oh, awesome. I, I think it's I probably didn't express just how big it was for me, you know, to, to come onto a public forum and sort of talk about, you know, I guess some of our experiences, but but more broadly, you know, to sort of share a little bit of myself. I've, I've spoken about the comfort zone. That's probably where I live a little bit. And, you know, it's what mm-hmm. we sort of touched on a little bit is, is modeling that willingness to step outside it every now and then. And although Maisie may not ever hear this, maybe she will, and, and be able to comprehend what it's sort of all about, I, I, I think. It allows me internally to go, yeah, that's a, that's a big step, and therefore I'm, I sort of know in myself that I'm modelling um, good behaviours. So thank you so much. You're more than welcome, mate. Thank you very much. It's it's an amazing thing to be able to uh, to come on and be vulnerable, especially as a man who may or may not have been raised to not be that vulnerable. So. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. We definitely need a lot more male represented uh, representation in this space, especially for parents. It's something that will help other people immensely. Uh, and it's something that hopefully you'll be able to walk away from thinking, well, that that's super cathartic. I feel a little bit more healed. I feel a little bit more, my bucket's a bit more full. And you can kind of take some of our conversations and 
and pieces and apply them to your life and you may be a little bit better for it. I know I will be. Every conversation that I've had so far has left me feeling a little bit more full and a little bit more uh, prepared and willing to to be the best I can be for my kids. Yeah, and I think that's all we all we can be in, in this role. So, yeah, thank you. No worries, mate. Well, you have a great day. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Carter. Wake up, it's another day. I try and find a way to make it so my life's a better place. If there's one thing I see, then you only thin is me. Knowing that I'm trying to make a change Get up, put it all on me Responsibilities And all the other nonsense coming by repeatedly But there's one thing I know It's knowing to let go Just knowing that I'm trying to